All right, everyone, welcome back to the Mission 300 podcast. My name is Jason, here with Brian, Tommy, and Caleb, as always. Um, and we got a discussion we're going to jump into and uh, bounce some ideas off each other here on uh, these ideas of freedom, boundaries, and dominion. But to kind of lead us into that, we just watched this clip from the movie Unbroken. And if you're searching for the clip, it's called The Plank Scene. And uh, it's, about, it's a, based on a true story. And I'm not going to spoil anything from it, but it's the scene in the movie. There's this prisoner of war in World War II, uh, an American prisoner in, I believe, a Japanese camp. And he's being forced to hold up this plank. And the guard tells him, if you drop it, we're going to kill you. And it's, it's an incredible scene. So we just watched this clip. And we've been talking about freedom boundaries and dominion we've been talking about matthew chapter 5 where jesus says um, whoever compels you to go one mile go with them two miles whoever asks something of you give them what they want and, and that whole thing in matthew 5 38 through 42 specifically is what we were talking about and in some previous episodes we've been talking about this idea of freedom and how we're not designed as sons and daughters to live as slaves and in bondage but we see a lot of times in life where people's freedoms are stripped away from them in a very literal physical sense, like in this clip. So as Christians, as leaders, how do we figure out how you're supposed to navigate in a moment like that, where we have this concept of being free, absolute freedom, that's our, that's our design, that's not always the reality for believers. So how do we navigate that idea of we're designed to be free and to fight for the oppressed, to stand up for those who are downtrodden, fight for the widow and the orphan and defend the, the, the helpless and the weak. And then also seeing something like this, if they tell you to go one mile, go two, because those things don't seem to really go together. On one hand, it seems that you've got this, you need to fight against injustice. And then on the other hand, it almost seems like when injustice comes to you asking for something, then give it more than it's even asking. Well, I've always, always, I've always taken the verse as a way of expressing our freedom. Cause when, when I think of that, for example, of like him holding up this wood plank over his head, it was a show of dominance over him, right? That this, Japanese man in the situation was asserting like like I am the boss here and he wanted to show all the prisoners you know what he'll do to make an example out of someone so he's forcing him to do that and he overcomes by you know going the extra mile and he you know he's starting to fail and he pushes it over his head with a scream and he's looking at him in the face and it's almost like a show of like I can take what you've pushed beyond like what you would expect and that's how i can relate to matthew chapter five too is like when someone asks you to do something that you don't want to do you go beyond what is you know expected because then you have control over that situation that it that is you truly showing someone that you love and care about them if like i know we we're talking earlier about like Roman the Roman soldier you know requiring you to go a mile and you go two well that's showing him that you love and care for him and that it's it's going beyond what is required to prove something more um but I I the situation in the movie seems a little bit different to me but I'm not sure what exactly that difference is that's a really big question because it and the scene is it's such a great um example of how challenging these concepts are because in this scene he is being forced to do something and he's going above and beyond it and and he is being wronged absolutely the injustice is being done to him absolutely and yet he's not a victim per se or he's not just giving in to the enemy necessarily because he's a part of the military that is fighting against the enemy so he has joined the military to fight against the enemy, but now in this situation, he's in a sense not fighting against the enemy. He's kind of going above and beyond what he's being required and demanded to do by the enemy. 
Yeah, where it seems like in the first one, you could probably say he was doing, Jesus is saying doing this as an act of love, but it could appear that this man wasn't acting in love. But I find it very interesting uh, when he's holding, it's, it's, love does something. Love has a two-way street. If you truly love, but the person that you're loving has a hatred or has something that is wrong, it doesn't mean that you loving them actually makes them all soft and warm towards you. Sometimes it could cause a reverse effect. Like it almost makes them more angry. The more Jesus loved, it almost made the Pharisees more mad that he was loving. So love, love doesn't always have the response that we're thinking of, but I think what was more important is if you noticed how the men all around stopped working, everyone stopped working. Like even the guards stopped making the, the prisoners do the coal harvesting <clears throat> and doing all their work. And they started staring at this scenario. And it was, in their hearts, it was causing something to rise out of hope and life to the other men that someone was standing. And I think there's something that plays into that. This whole verse, just like every verse, like there's so many dimensions. When Jesus says something, it's not as simple as, oh, great, so if I get asked to go one, I got to go two miles. There's so much bigger implication to the, the, the things that he's asking us to do, with had, which has a much grander uh, impact. And I noticed that impact even in this scenario. And that was loving, because love breeds hope. Love brings freedom. Love brings change. Love brings light to situations, right? It doesn't always mean it turns out great for you. It just does that. So I can see this not out of an act of bitterness, not out of an act of not even so much of a defiance towards a person, but a defiance towards victimization. I'm sure he wasn't very fond of that guard, but if you read this whole story, you'll find out the effect, what he actually went and did for this guard later on. So powerful story. So I could say something in him, this wasn't about bitterness, and it wasn't about, I'm going to tell you who's really boss. Not that kind of defiance, but the defiance of, I will not be broken in this manner. I will go to the end that I'm going to give and I'm going to stand. And you're defying that victimization, almost what Solzhenitsyn said. Yeah, it almost seems like to me in this situation, he's keeping his freedom, even though from like the outside, it appears that he's not free by making the choice to go above and beyond what was required of him by lifting it even higher and all that and holding it for longer than they thought he could. So I think it's more like, like what you're saying, Brian, when the times like you're not given a choice, like where the Roman soldiers say you have to take my coat. But in that moment, you actually can still make a choice to do like something more, even out of love, instead of like doing what they want you to do, which is to like essentially either fight them on it or just obey their command. Like don't go above what they said. But I think you're still free in that situation. Like he was still free in that situation because he chose to do something else within the bounds that they gave him, but it almost went above and beyond. So in that situation, like from all outside perspective, he's lost his freedom, but internally he's keeping his freedom by making the choice to not just do what they're saying to the minimum or trying to defy it for the sake of like rebellion. It was like, no, I'm going to stand and do this because I'm a free man and I'll choose what to do, even though it's within those bounds. But I think internally there's like a decision there that actually is freedom within himself. So in Romans 12, verse 20, he's quoting from Proverbs and he says, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will heap coals of fire on his head. And then he says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And that's really interesting because it there's there's almost an aspect in here, and I love how you phrased it, Brian, when you said uh, defiance against victimization, because I think that's what we're seeing here. So there's one aspect where if you see if you're seeing evil and injustice, there's something natural in you 
that wants to fight against it. And a lot of times we look at things like Matthew 5 as, well, you just need to submit and kind of be a passive, quiet, timid thing. But there's actually a strength in defiance being defiant against the right thing, against victimization. So I won't be a victim. So you get to use that defiance. I know that's kind of a dirty word at times, but you get to use that strength in order to resist being labeled as a victim or a slave or being in bondage to sin, death, whatever it is. But then you also see the result of that action, even though it's painful and it feels like you're not fighting in the way you want to in Romans 12, and again, referencing Proverbs, where when you do these things, not only do you remain free and not become a victim, but it actually burns your enemy because what can you do to a person like that when you see that even in the in the gar in that the commander's face he's like stop looking at me stop looking at me like is something was happening to him that and and keep in mind this this uh louis zamperini he wasn't disobeying this officer he was pushing the obedience to a different level but in that something rose in him a strength and the commander was getting not the result he was expecting. He was expecting to break him. But what he was actually doing was empowering him. And something was overwhelming him that, and love does that. Love can overwhelm you with something hot. Like, it can be a good thing, but it can also cause you to step back. And it almost puts you back in your place a little bit. And again, we're looking for the results of people being changed in a good way. So we're not trying to find ways to, <laughs> how can we stick it to the man? type thing. Um, we're talking about you living in your freedom. But like I like what you just were saying, Caleb, he was protecting his freedom, yet it didn't look like he was free, but he was actually free inside, which was keeping him from being broken. And I, I guess I want to tie in something that we kind of talked about before the podcast, too, is about kind of with, within a game, right, we have rules and we have these regulations. And without those, it's kind of a running, it's like a mess. Um, but I think we talked about how we always want to be the, the person who designs the rules or the games to set it up for ourselves. And I think it's interesting, like, with this, it's doing that, but it's doing it in, in a loving way. Because when I think of that, I think of something like really selfish and like, I want to set it up so I succeed. And so I, I am like the pinnacle of what is good. Like I, I am the only one who will be able to do this, but it's really how you go about that process of like love. Cause if, if it's not rooted in love, then it's really, you're really not going the extra mile for the right reason. You're going the extra mile to prove yourself capable or to prove yourself. Like I'm better than you, but if it's truly out of love, that's when people change because I guarantee you if, if like we're in a situation with like a Roman soldier where they ask us to go to a mile and by law, we have to go a mile. And then we go two just to show them, boom, like you see what I'm capable of. It's just going to make it worse for everyone. But if you say, Hey, you know what? Like I can just go another mile with you. Let, let me help you out. Like it changes the whole dynamic of the situation. And so I think this has a lot to do with the person like the heart of the person behind what they're doing. Which would, would tie in that would hold on, hold on, hold on. Stupid mute. Which would which would tie in really clearly because Paul did this multiple times. He did it with the first guard when he was beaten and he was being held in Macedonia. He did it on the ship before he was being shipwrecked. Like they he did things like even when he was set free to say, guard, no, 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 none of us left. We're we're all here. Like, he wasn't using his liberty and freedom for his advantage. Yet when he was in those scenarios, it was like he was always in charge. And you see that with Joseph, too. Like, he was always in charge. Like, yet he wasn't trying to be. That's what I'm trying to get at. It's like, hey, here's six steps to take dominance over the person who's having dominion over you. That That is not what this is, because the motive would be completely wrong. This is this is how you can live free in any situation, regardless of what's going on around you. And 
avoiding just fighting against that victimization because then there's no hope for anything once that happens. So what would you guys say the, I guess the criteria or the boundaries are for, for this application? Because in the last episode, we talked about Romans 13. And one of the things that we had mentioned was it's, it does not mean to blindly do whatever, you know, the government tells you to, for example. And for anyone listening, go back and listen to that episode because it gives a lot of context into what we're talking about now. So how do we see the application of that boundary between if they ask you to go one mile, go two. If you're in a prison camp and the guy is telling you to hold this thing above your head, then you push it higher. That application versus, well, I guess the question is, does that mean anything that comes down the pipe to us from an authority figure, even if we're in prison, you accept it and you do it. So if they, if they, Tell you to take one Tylenol, take two Tylenol. I think the, the problem with any of these answers is if we don't know God as a father and we don't know his nature, we're not going to know really. We're going to look at applications to try to sit. Okay, here's formula one to deal with problem B. Here's formula two to deal with problem C. We're trying to match an algorithm to a problem, like a spiritual solution to each scenario versus knowing a relationship. Like if you remember, Elijah called down fire from heaven and killed all the, the Baal priests, slaughtered them, like a hundred Baal priests. Well, when the same unbelief was happening, when Jesus was here, his disciples, James and John said, should we call down fire from heaven and destroy the city? He said, you don't know what spirit you're of. But the exact same scenario took place. One was operating in the spirit of God, and the other was not operating in the spirit of God, but same action. Without knowing the nature of our Father, and again, this is this one area, I, I'm just going to have to say, when people say, well, I'm just going to do it the way Jesus did it, as if God did it bad in the Old Testament. We forget that a lot of times when we read the Old Testament, you're catching the very end of mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy after mercy till the people say, we don't want God. And then something happens and you see, man, God's so wrathful. He's so harsh in the Old Testament. You, Jesus, that principle of going the extra mile that Jesus taught, God did throughout the whole Old Testament. Everything Jesus is saying to do, that's how God is. What caused us to turn? His goodness. It says the goodness of God leads a man to repentance, right? His mercies are new every morning. Great is his mercy. That's what makes him powerful is his mercy. We, we, we have to see that in order to understand some of this. So then when we know God's nature, and you're in a scenario, we, we start knowing how to function. But if we can maybe get to uh, a couple key things in this conversation of how do we establish the deeper conviction? So one thing that is kind of missed, if you don't watch the movie, but Louis Zamperini, there's a point where he's finally getting beaten by the, by the officer because he, he, he withstands. So now the punishment's worse for him. So he's getting beaten. And in that moment, like Louis bounces back to him running. And as a runner, his brother used to coach him. And he kept saying to Louis, Louis, if you could take it, you can make it. If you could take it, you can make it. If you can take it, you can make it. And that's what he was doing. He's just going to make it. And I thought that was a real powerful moment. Like it started revealing the real motive of why he was holding this up. It wasn't defiance to the guard. Kind of was, but it was defiance of being a victim. It was defiant. It was basically saying, I can take everything because I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. So I'm going to take it. I, I can take it. And it that now we're starting to get into the heart motivations of everything that we do. Now it will be easier to apply it. So if they say take one Tylenol to your example, take two. 
Well, no, that's not the context of it. You know what I'm saying, but... Yeah, do you think it would be kind of applicable in, in the context of that clip if if the enemy soldiers were to say, okay, give us the position of your your main base in this region? And he said, well, I'll give you two of them. I'll give you two bases. That's, that's clearly and obviously a different application than what's act, what's in the clip with raising that bar over his head. So like uh, Caleb and Tommy, do you guys kind of agree with the difference there? Like it's, there's a clear difference in those things. Yeah, I agree. And I think almost like to what drawing the line is, is he almost wasn't even like concerned for his own safety in that situation. Cause like, yeah, he was lifting it, but it, like it's almost like I feel like it's communicated in the movie that he wasn't lifting it for the sake of keeping himself alive and I think he was doing it to like share the message because you see like the other men being inspired and everything so it was almost for like something greater than just himself and I think like that's a question we can ask ourselves too in these situations like am I doing this because it's gonna look good to other people for myself or like it's going to help me out like it's going to save me but really we should be asking ourselves like am i doing this for the sake of freedom and like so if the government tells you to take one tylenol instead of two like are you doing that for the sake of freedom or just because they're telling you to if the government tells you to lift this plank are you doing it for freedom or just because they're telling you to and you want to keep yourself alive? Like, I think even though I would say don't like put anything in boxes because then, you know, you're just going to go off like the formula, like what you're saying, Brian. But I think when you're looking to like in the, in these situations, what is your reasoning or what internally are you saying like, this is the reason I'm doing this instead of like, what are all the external stuff happening? I think it's good to look like at our hearts and see what's our motive and everything like that. And add context to your word. When you say for freedom's sake, people don't really always get that, but we, we have to read mm -hmm. Galatians five, one, it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. That's for freedom. And, and we know the context of Paul. He's the one saying, don't, you know, love your neighbor. This is what's going to win. Yet he would not let himself be entangled again into slavery. And so this is kind of that, what you're, what you're saying. But I want to give context because you keep using that word freedom, and I understand what you're saying, but that's the context of, for the listener, why you're using that. Yeah, it's not like a selfish freedom, like free so I can do what I want and choose my own path, my own life. It's more like freedom, like what you're saying, freedom and victory in Christ and for others. Like he was setting an example to the other men there. Like you don't have to be like what we've been saying from the start. You don't have to be a victim of this situation. Like you are free to choose who you want to be in this or like what what do you want to be on the other side of this situation or in it or at the start of it do you want to be the victim or do you want to be the one who's walking in freedom not for your own sake not for selfish reasons so that you can go and do what you want to do or whatever but it's like i think almost our idea of freedom in some ways not in a not necessarily that this is a bad thing but has been corrupted in western culture because we think of freedom as like, I get to go and choose whatever I want to do whenever I want to do that. And I think that's a great thing because there is like personal liberty and all that. But like in, in this context, I think when we're talking about it, I think freedom almost isn't for our own sake. Like Jesus didn't come to the earth to be free and do whatever he wanted to. He, became, he came to the earth to be free, but for the sake of other people, you know, it was like for, for something greater than just himself. And so I think when we talk about freedom, it's like it has to have something besides a selfish, selfish motive within it. Otherwise, is it even really freedom at that point? Because it's just self-motivated. And how free 
can you be when everybody else around you is a slave anyways? And that power of choice you said, I think is a very critical, which means in any scenario, regardless of what you're in, there's a choice you get to make in that. And that is the freedom. And, and, you know, he could either lift the bar or not lift the bar. Instead, he chose to hold the bar and then go further with the bar. That was a choice. But in that, he's still operating within that freeing scenario. So I guess my question to you guys is, okay, that's great. What does that do for me tomorrow when I go to school or go to work? Or how does this video clip pertain to me? I mean, I'm not in a slave camp where someone's telling me what to do and I'm feeling the pressure of, of threats if I don't obey. Well, maybe you are. I don't know. I mean, everybody does need to know that since the beginning of time, man was never created to have dominion over man. Ever. They were created to have dominion over the earth and every, everything created, but they weren't created to have dominion over each other. Which here's an interesting thought. Jesus said who the greatest in the kingdom of heaven was. You guys remember what that was? Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Isn't it the servants, those who serve? The servant of all. So what would that make God in heaven? The authoritarian dictator or the loving father? That's something that's hard to get your mind around. It also says, um, fear not, little flock, because it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Not, it is your father's good pleasure to bring you into his kingdom so that he can step on you. Right, so let's put this in normal, healthy context. You feel loved when someone goes over and above what they should have, even though they didn't need to. There's something about that that makes you feel loved, right? So it's almost like just treat everyone the same way as if you love them. It's kind of dawning on me as we're having this conversation. We're almost isolating two events. Like, we do this with people we love. Jesus is saying just treat everyone the same. And it's interesting because if you think about it, like what or when I think about it, if someone does that for me, what makes me think that they love me is not because like that I asked them to do that or anything. It's because they had the freedom to choose to do that. And they decided to go above and beyond in their freedom. They made to the choice of love, which makes, makes the love even that much more powerful because they had the freedom to not choose to do that, but they did anyways. And it was self-sacrificing. Can I just give a really, really dumb example of this that I think might help in a way? So at my house I'm living with now, I'm living with a bunch of college guys. And, uh, well, I guess they all graduated. So I'm the college guy. So I'm crazy busy. I have a schedule, like, you know. And so a lot of times I end up doing my laundry and I just forget it. And it'll sit in there for... I mean, I hate to say it, but sometimes it's like a week and it's like, oh, I, I just need to grab my laundry. That smells but fresh. The other day, <laughs> exactly. The other day, one of my roommates realized that I was just working really hard and I just, you know, I didn't have anything. I didn't have the time to think about other stuff and I left my laundry in there. And he just took it out and he put it on my bed. He didn't fold it or anything. Like, you know, you know, but that's a way of showing love in like a community sense of like, it, it, it's not these big grandiose things that like show love. It's these simple things that go just a little bit above beyond of like what, what is expected in a community. And so from, for like, in, in my case, that would be going the extra mile for someone in, in my community is taking the back of a brother who I love and support and just doing something to help him. That's not expected because he could have just thrown my laundry on the floor. Cause you know, he needed to do his, but no, he realized what was going on and he, you know, he just did something a little bit extra and that's what shows love. 
I think that's big and contrasted with how the vast majority of people react to a situation like that. It's not, oh, I'm I'm sure Tommy's really swamped right now. It's, well, look at how this is impacting me and my schedule and what I have to do. And now I'm upset at Tommy because of what he did. And and also I'm impressed in, in a scary way that you can have your laundry sit there for a week and none of your other roommates do laundry in that week. That tells me something. But you think of that, if we could just switch that mindset when we run into something that is messing with us and getting in our way instead of the instant reaction of, gosh, this person is just ruining my day right now. Don't they know my time's important? Don't they know this is a community laundry room? Don't they respect everyone else? They could you understand what someone else is going through and give a little bit extra to bring something into their world, into their situation. And I think it's interesting. I think earlier in the movie, uh, Louis Zamperini was brought in by the Japanese and he could, they wanted him to kind of do propaganda because everyone knew in the world that he was this famous track star. So they were doing things to try to make how great the Japanese were treating prisoners and that they were the good guys. And they wanted him to kind of falsify information and he wouldn't do it. So that put him back into prison again. So again, here you have two examples of he's not doing it yet. He's going to do this. And so I, I think the hardest part about all these conversations that we do is we're talking about an aspect. And I already know in my mind, I could find a, well, what about this kind of scenario? Would you do this for this? Or this person's a drug addict. You're just going to go get him more drugs because he wants more. No, you're not walking in love because you're wanting that person's approval. You're not doing it because you love them. You're doing it because you want something. You're getting something from them by doing that. So there's, there's a difference, right? I mean, we, we throw these scenarios out there, but we have to remove my approval has to come first from God, period. If he's the one who approves of me, he's the one I love, he's the one whose opinion is the only one that really matters at the end of the day. Now from there, love people. Because then you won't be manipulated. There's times you'll say no. There's times you'll stand up. There's times you'll hold your ground. But you're doing it out of love for the approval of God. You're not doing it out of, out of this scenario. And then it begins affecting that scenario. But in the end, you're still responsible choosing. Plus, you don't care about what man can do to your body. You care about the one who could take your soul. So you have a different priority to who actually has dominance over your life in the sense. And it's not man. Well, then let me ask you guys, how, how have you... How have you figured out those boundaries? Because I think we, I mean, Brian, you put it very well. The approval has to come from our father, not from man. So he gets to draw the boundaries. God gets to set the rules. He gets to do all of that. But then how do you operate when you see so many people, fellow believers, operating what at least appears to be with different lines, different things that are acceptable, different things that are unacceptable. Like, how does that become a reality in us when, when we, we see boundaries and lines that our father's drawing for us, around us, and other people don't necessarily adhere to them, whether that's right or wrong? I think my first gut would be, that's where we're, sometimes you have to stand alone in the midst of the crowd and just be you and not change. So there's some kind of an example or point of reference. A lot of people don't have a point of reference. They don't know what it should look like. I think that's why talking about all this stuff is so important is because there's days coming that we have to make hard decisions. And I don't know if we're fully prepared for them. I mean, it's easy to sit and talk about what I would do if I was Stephen. But if you put yourself in Stephen's shoes, would you really want to keep talking when you know you're going to get stoned? I mean... I'm trying to imagine what it was like to get hit with a rock in the head hundreds of times. And you know it's coming. You, you know it's coming. And you still just keep speaking the truth. Like, but that, I think there's something powerful in that, that you, you so step out of yourself. You're so, you, you, you step into something that's way bigger. You become eternal. That's where Paul said, Man, I'm just here. I, I would rather I could go or stay. 
I'm going to stay for your sake, but man, I cannot wait to go. Like, <laughs> I, I'm only here for your sake. I mean, what if you only live that way? I'm only here for your sake. I don't even know how to react, what that reality looks like. Paul stepped into a realm I have. It, it's amazing. I think it's available for everybody. I think people have done it. I don't know if I've seen enough example what that looks like. Like, I think one... One of the keys to that, though, is is I don't know if we fully know who it is we're loving because in in every scenario with with Stephen, with Paul, with with the clip that we saw, if well, let's just let's just take the clip. If if Louis is loving, let's say the officer, then he's going to do what's going to be best for the officer. But if he's loving his men, then he's going to do what he did, and stand up because he wants freedom and that example for them to see if if paul is ultimately loving you know other let's say other pharisees then he doesn't really need to stick around but because he's got this deep love for the believers the people that he has walked with now his actions are this so my point is if i love my children and my actions are designed to demonstrate for them what it means to love God, to exhibit strength, to have an identity, then my actions are going to inevitably be abrasive to other people because I'm not ultimately trying to love that person in whatever they think they need to be loved. I'm trying to love my children and provide a future and a life for them. So how do we know who our ultimate or the, the, the focal point of our love is? Because that'll determine your actions. And and also, how do we deal with the fact that it's inevitably going to rub so many people the wrong way and elicit backlash and negative responses from a lot of people because of that? Great question. And I would, I would add and agree, we don't think about this stuff until it actually happens. And we need to think about these things long before the scenarios hit us in the face. And I've... I've gone through those things and it's, I cannot stress enough the importance of thinking about this beforehand. It helps immensely. Thank God that his mercy and his guidance is still there, even if we're unprepared for things, but especially as you go along in life and you might raise children, you, whatever it is, you're, you're influencing more people. These things do hit you and you have to make choices and you have to deal with the reality that the choices you make you're going to get backlash for from people that you admire and respect from people that are in positions of influence in the world. It's, and you've got to make that choice and you've got to stand for something. And hopefully we can start with the small things and learn to develop the strength from there. Maybe one of you can look up this verse, but here's what stands out to me to your answer to your question. Jesus summed up all of the commandments when he was asked, what's the greatest? And he summed it up with a two-part single answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. And I find it interesting, we, all, we tend to omit the first part as the command. We only talk about we need to love our neighbor. You cannot love your neighbor if you do not love God. And if you love God with all your heart, soul, and strength, every action will be towards the benefit of your God. So the spirit of everything you do will be towards that. How you love your family, how you love your community, when you stand up, when you're strong, when you're when you step back, when you serve, when you interact, when you are, take responsibility, everything will flow from that love, and then you will treat people as you treat yourself. Here's the problem. I, I, sometimes we have to be hard on ourselves. I don't mean in a condemning way, but sometimes we need to pull our own slack out of our britches and make some changes, right? And we do that because if you love yourself, you would want to be you want to raise yourself to be better, right? You see more in you. If we're all soft and syrupy, we know that doesn't change us. 
So sometimes loving your neighbor isn't, like you said earlier, Jace, just doing what's going to, they think is going to be loving towards them. That's not the spirit of love. So, and the other part is God's name is love. He, his, I, the essence of what he is, is love. So everything he does is loving. There's no action he can do that's not loving because he is love. So I think you had two, one great point is who is it that we're loving? Like, where's the target? The second point is, why is it just a specific action versus a nature of what you are? Yeah, thinking about this too, it's like loving other people. I think like our typical perception of love is like, though people will like it when I love them. Yeah, don't but make them I mad. Think, oh, yeah, don't make them mad. Like people will be content and happy if you're truly loving them. But I think of like me growing up, the way that I know my dad loves me is that when I was doing something wrong, he corrected me. And if he had let me keep on doing whatever I was doing, then he really wouldn't have loved me because in the end, even if it's fun in the moment and all that stuff, or like I'm enjoying myself because I'm being mean to my sisters. And so it's fun for me, but then I get corrected by my dad and I'm like upset. Cause I'm like, whatever I was doing. And I, in the moment, I'm like, man, this is miserable. I'm going to run away from home. Like I think about that for two seconds and I realize there's food in the pantry, but <laughs> like in long-term looking back at it now, like my dad loved me. And I think even like God loves us when he corrects us or there's definitely a verse somewhere and I just can't remember. It's, the it's in Hebrews. It, he in fact, us. it says you, you're yeah. not loved if God doesn't correct you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think like, like what you're saying, Jason, if you are, you want to show your kids how to truly live in the truth and you love, you love them because of that you're going to correct them. And I think even if other people might be offended while you're teaching your kids the right way to live, like, you're actually loving them because you're also showing them the right way to live, even if it's abrasive to them, because they're a slave to something else. They're not a slave or they're, they're a slave to sin or whatever. And they don't have the freedom. And that like that, that causes conflict and friction. Like, like when he was standing there in freedom, that guy hated it. But honestly, he was even showing him love because he was showing him, this is what freedom looks like. And so I think in our lives, like our perception of like love is not always like, even for me, I'm like, oh man, am I loving that person? Like, cause they didn't like what I said maybe. And, but I think ultimately, like, I think an even greater way of showing love, even if it's hard is that we do share the truth in situations. Cause ultimately down the road, you're going to be responsible for did I share the truth and did I love that person by sharing the truth, even if they didn't like it or they perceived it as me not loving them because the world's definition of love isn't what loving truly is. And some people are going to not like it at all, but that's okay. And that's not an excuse to be like, you know, sometimes I hear like, Oh, I'm loving that person. One really like, okay, you're not really being selfless. You're like using, your excuse to correct them as it's like it gets complicated but if you are truly motivated selflessly and in love and truth then ultimately that is like the best thing that you could do for anybody even if they don't like it it's almost i think our world's definition of love is more like how a a, a pet owner owns a pet to me that's what they think they think that we should be acting like they're pets and then we're loving them it's, it's really, it's a dom, it's a dominance type thing versus an interaction. We could spend more time on that a different day, but I think your analysis was great. Tommy, I want to hear your thoughts on that because I think, yeah, you were, you were saying earlier, this is why we need to understand that God is the one who gets to draw the boundaries on what is love, what is going the extra mile, what is giving in to, to evil not man getting to have dominion over man to say, well, I want you to love me in this way. And I think we need to understand how 
how real we need to make that mindset. What does the father say is the right way to treat you? What does God say is, is giving into evil and using my freedom uh, for, for the flesh or for evil? And what is standing up in strength and courage, even though everyone around me disagrees? So letting him draw those boundaries, because without that, it ends up being an emotional battle over, well, who's getting dominion over who in this situation? Who can manipulate who into doing what they want them to do? I think a lot of it has to do with assumptions. What do, what do we assume of people when we, when we try to dominate them? If that makes sense, a lot of times it comes out of assumptions that are false, right? Like we we want someone to act a certain way because we assume something in their life is X, Y, Z, but we don't know. And so that, that's where I think it gets really tricky about how do we how do we love someone if we don't truly know where they're at. So I guess this comes down to. I've been thinking about this a lot lately is like, can we truly love everyone? Or can we only really love, love those people in our life that we have a deeper connection with? There's a deeper relationship. I'm not saying you, you should act terrible to other people. I think I, th- I think it's a fine line of like what what really is that love then? Because I'm not going to go out and correct someone I don't know and I don't have a relationship with because I have no idea where they're at. But if I know someone, like a brother, like someone who is in my family, I can go to them and I can correct them because I know where they're at and they know where I'm at. They know I'm not coming out of out of place of like I'm trying to show you the right way or I'm trying to assert my superiority over you. It's coming out of a place of love because we're at that mutual point. So I I I think that's kind of where I'm at in this whole situation is like how how do you show love to someone who who you don't know anything about? Which is interesting, says love your neighbor, which would be someone in close proximity. I mean, you're not hating everybody outside of the proximity. I'm just saying, to your point. Right. And and that's not my point either. I mean, I think there's ways to show love to everyone you meet. But it's a very surface level love. Right? It's a very, you know, it's like, oh, I can be nice to this person and I can hopefully put a smile on their face and but i don't know where that person's at you you really don't maybe the thing that you think would make them happy or make them feel loved is something that they they don't want in that moment and might actually be a lot worse for them than if you had done, just not done anything very different than you're with some, you're around someone and you don't know them and you just feel this i don't know how else to define it but you just know god wants to interact with that person so it's almost like you're stepping into what God loves about that person and you kind of blindly step in to that and something powerful happens, but that's really, you're just being an agent for God, but it's God's love towards them. And sometimes you don't even know what you did and you give them a card and it's like, it just made their day. It was everything from God and God shows up in their life and you're this random stranger in that moment, but that would be loving God more than. And that's following God. Yeah. Right. Because if if I feel this overwhelming sense, I need to do something for this person that I don't know. What are you What are you doing? Are you going to obey God and that feeling, the Holy Spirit feeling inside of you? Because I would agree that that's that's loving God. That's being an agent of God, God's love to someone. Is that is I don't know if that would be showing love from yourself to someone. I think that's a little bit different. And so I think it's a, it's a two different loves. It's like, what's a love that I can, I can do out of myself that I can produce for myself, which ultimately is produced by God too. So it's, it's, it's a little different, but it's, it's something that you can do ordinarily like that you choose to do. And, and I wonder if that has something to do with like Jesus and his disciples as well. 
because Jesus really only had 12 disciples that, you know, were truly people that he had a, an influence on, you know, there's more, but like, how many people can you truly know at this level? Well, I would say it's only, I, 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 I would say it was only three. Right. Peter, James, and John. And that's, and that, and that's what I'm like, I mean, is like, you, you can only get to a certain level with so many people. But that doesn't mean like Jesus didn't, he didn't stop doing miracles. He didn't stop healing people. He didn't stop showing love to everyone he met. But there's still this deeper love that you you can't really have with everyone you meet. Well, maybe there's something to it then when Jesus says greater love has no one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends, meaning that love can be demonstrated in other ways. And I don't mean to put it on like a, a tier system, but there's love and then there's great love and then there's greater love and I'm, i wouldn't even claim that to be a, a a tier system i necessarily adhere to but you kind of see that there's different manifestations of love or in the relationship it's deeper with these three people and then with these three plus these other nine it's deeper still and then there's these you know 60 or 70 over here that it's still a solid relationship of active love but it's just not quite the same as the depth you see with these three so i think you're right there's that's absolutely an application and so we i think sometimes the problem is we try to project this idea onto everyone else that well you're supposed to love everyone the way that you love these three people that you're closest to and have all the deepest connections with and that's just not that's not how human beings operate well you just really maybe this is for another podcast but you just tapped into something that I think could be explored and probably should is when Jesus, when Peter got the crowd together, said, no, I need to go over here. And that's where he met the leper. I didn't come for the crowd. Jesus never came for the crowd. Now he came for everybody and everyone can have a personal relationship that you're, you just defined right there. Everyone can have that with God. But he didn't come for the mass approval. He came for the individual. So if we were to focus on the few that are put around and just pour in, and they focused on the few that are around and just pour in, think about how powerful that is. But because we focus on the mass as the priority and the small is kind of minuscule, look how easy it is they hop from this trend to this trend to this trend, and we're always doing trends. But if it's deep, you don't get trendy when it's deep. I keep thinking of how um, I'm basing this on a soldier again. And again, I, I'll just make this comment. But the Afghani people have still never been conquered by a foreigner coming in there. <laughs> they're not. I'm not saying whether they're right or wrong how they live their life. I'm just saying there's something in their <laughs> makeup. But they are deeply, when they develop a friendship, they are friends, which we see with the lone survivor and the, the, the sniper that got rescued by the Afghani. They're still close friends. And there was something that was bonding in that. And I think that those are powerful tools. You can't break it. When that's all intertwined in a culture, you're not going to break that culture. But it's interesting. Our culture, the, the godless culture, removes personal and makes it more abstract on outside things. They don't want the personal because personal is powerful. So there's something to that that would be worth exploring. And I think one other thing, just something we could explore in the future too, maybe we don't get into it right now, but it's also how the church is run too. Like if the church focused on the one person and loving that one person, I think we'd have a way different church. But a lot of it today is that wide casting of the net of how do we get everybody and anybody? But is that loving? Like, is that person really in the right place to be in this situation? You know? And, like, and, and it's a tough conversation because I, I see the benefit. There's a utility to it. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I when Paul, Peter spoke, 5,000 people were happened to be there and they all, they all turned. I, I want to make sure even in these conversations, it's not, this is better. This is not, it's what is the motive of that 
But if we can understand what really changes people, what, what changes people, what impacts them, what causes them to do exploits that are way beyond, it's the personal. And it was Louis Zamperini's brother that kept him alive. That relationship, he, he wouldn't let go of those words from his brother. And I, I, I think there's things that, that we, we're missing that as an element in our life that rather than get rid of things, we need to bring a focal point and, and, and highlight that maybe more important thing in that. I, I think we're definitely going to need to do an episode on that topic. And, and, uh, I don't know if you guys have noticed in the last couple of weeks, especially the last couple of weeks, but for a long time now, things have been moving this direction as a society we are getting increasingly less personal and less interactive, even though we're technically more connected than we've ever been. We're so much more connected, but less interactive and less personal. And there are some things that I've just seen recently that have just, oh, we're going to have to save that for another episode, though, because, yeah, I think we're out of time here. But do you guys have any, any closing thoughts or anything before we wrap up this one? When we started this off, we were talking about freedom, boundaries, and dominion, and we ended up talking about love which that is the essence of what true freedom is like. It is the essence of where boundaries come from. And it is the essence of why you don't dominate another person. It, it, it really all ties to that. And I, man, I, I, I hate it for it to be so simplified. It's such a powerful word and powerful idea and powerful reality because it's who God is. It's his old nature. It's hard to encapsulate that. But I think if we could just step back and not do things so we can be loved, but do things because we love out of for God. It might begin starting a new journey with this. Like, I'm not going to do this so I can be loved, I can be accepted, I can take care of myself. And it, it becomes all the about me versus God, how do I love you? And I'm in this scenario. How do you want me to love that will bring freedom, power, and see through what you're wanting to do in my life? I, I think if we could maybe start praying that, it, it might begin putting everything into a perspective of when to, when not to, how to, all those things will start playing out. I guess the big takeaway for me is the going the extra mile is showing love. And I would just encourage anyone who has someone in their life that you, you like, I feel like a lot of people know, like you have these certain people that are in your life for a reason. And what I would do is I would make it a point to show love to those people by going the extra mile and whatever, whatever thing that is and really showing love to them in a way that connects with them on a deeper level. And, and I think that is showing God's love. Yeah, I think as a final thought, I think I'm going to be asking myself this next coming week and everything, like, what is freedom without love? Because like what you're saying, Brian, like, we can't just have one thing without the other. And I think the core connecting piece this all is love, because when we did talk about those three different aspects, it kept on coming back to love. And I think like, like, Jesus came to this earth to serve not to be served he came to give us freedom and he came to like restore our dominion over the earth like giving us our authority back but i think the core thing that like it some people may call it cliche but you know god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son and i think that core thing is love all those other things we have because he loves us and i think when we want to truly act those out in our lives in a godly way, if we do it in love, I think that's what's going to change the people around us. Like what you're saying, Tommy, like if we want to really go change the world and affect people's lives, we use love, not our freedom, not our, if we have dominion or power or anything like that, it's love. It's that's the one thing that it comes down to. All right, everyone, as we wrap it up, I just kind of want to leave you with these three quick thoughts here. 
when we talked about freedom and this thing, this has just always struck me as something that people need to realize more and more. You are by your nature, a free being, especially as a believer, you're a son or a daughter of God. You're not a slave or in bondage to anything else anymore. And your father is the one who draws boundaries or defines what this freedom looks like. It's not defined by other people. Man was not given dominion over man. That has stuck with me for weeks since we started talking about this idea that mankind was not given dominion over man. There's, so there's this idea of freedom that works together with the idea of authority, which we've covered in previous episodes. So go back in the archives and check those out for, for some context there. But I hope you guys are wrestling with these questions as we are. I mean, that's what this whole thing is designed to be. We don't necessarily have all the answers. I mean, I, I secretly think that Tommy does. He's just giving them out piece by piece, but we're wrestling with these questions as well. So we appreciate you guys listening into these episodes. We're going to be back in the next one with some more great conversations. And until next time, keep the faith, stay in the fight.